Jeff Mannion's book, Mannion's book called The Land Between. I'd like you to remember that title because we're going to come back to it a little bit later this morning. Tom sits in the silence of his living room. It's after midnight and the kids are asleep. Excuse me just a minute. Yeah, if you're a child here, KidVenture is going to be happening right now, so you can go right out those back doors and uh, someone will meet you there. Today was a scheduled closing on a house and today the closing was canceled. Not postponed, but canceled. The deal fell apart. He sits in the darkness, repeating the number that robs him of sleep. Three houses. I've sold three houses this year. Two years ago, I closed on 27 homes, a house about every two weeks. How much longer can I do this? How much longer can we continue to drain our retirement account to pay monthly bills? Should I find a second job? What if things don't turn around for years? Karen fumbles for the phone in a sleepy haze. The red numbers on the clock read 317. In the moment before hello, she takes a quick mental inventory. Are all the kids home? She's conscious enough to reason that either someone has dialed the wrong number or she's about to receive some bad news. Hello, she mumbles, and the room spins as she hears the voice of her sister, Karen. There's been an accident. Tonight, Karen will be hurled from her normal routine of work, church, and tennis into the land of all-night hospital vigils and intensive care unit and lengthy rehabilitation. This is the land between, where everything is, that is normal is interrupted. For many of us, the journey into the land between comes suddenly, like Karen's experience or my own, with a conversation that drops into our lives like an exploding bomb. Your position's been eliminated. I don't love you anymore. The tumor is malignant. The church elders are meeting to take a vote of confidence. Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. I'm having second thoughts about the wedding. Dad, I'm at the police station. Your mother and I are getting a divorce. We're moving. We think mom's had a stroke. The land between is prime real estate for faith transformation. It is also the space where we can grow resentful, bitter, and caustic if our responses are unguarded. The wilderness where faith can thrive is the very desert where it can dry up if we are not watchful. The land between. Keep that little phrase in mind as we will return to it in a few moments this morning. Well, Paul has just returned from a very exciting time in his life. He's been traveling around Europe. He's been doing what he loves to do. That's plant churches, uh, establish leaders, and revisit those churches to see what, what God has been doing. It is the thrill of Paul's life, I'm sure it was a very exciting thing for him. We saw that he comes back to Jerusalem, and initially it's a positive experience. He takes some very specific steps to prove to the Jews that he is not opposed to their customs and to their traditions. However, everything is about to change for Paul. Everything in his life is about to change. And life, as far as we can tell, from this point on, will never be the same for Paul. Last week we saw a group of Jews that came down from Asia. They stirred up the crowd. Not only did they not like Paul to say they hated him, 
was a mild statement. They hated him to the point where we see that they were in the process of killing him when the Romans came in and really saved his life by taking him into custody. And so we see here that the commander is, as we come into chapter 23, the commander is perplexed because he can't figure out what Paul's done to create all this chaos. He figures there's something that Paul's not telling him. And so he couldn't get it out of the crowd because they were saying mixed messages. And so he takes him and he's about to stretch him out and he's basically going to torture him and began beating him until he will tell the commander what it is and then he finds out he's a Roman citizen. So that plan is out. So now on the next day it says, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused, he released him and he hoped that through this encounter with the Sanhedrin he would find out something more. Well, we see verse 1, and uh, you can see it there. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. He said, my brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And that just ticked off the high priest, as if Paul was trying to justify what he had been doing with his life. And so he orders Paul slapped, and, and Paul looks forward at him, and he says, you know, what kind of a judge is it? What is it someone who's called to uphold the law who's commanding now to break it by striking me? And then he proceeded to call him a whitewashed wall. Back in those days, if a wall was cracked and it was getting old and it needed repair, sometimes what they would do is just take whitewash and they would put it over the wall and it would look like it was fine. But underneath, it was cracking, it was crumbling, and it needed repair. And so... Paul said, he looks at the high priest, he said, that's what I think of when I see you here. A whitewashed wall. <laughs> Paul then apologizes, not knowing it was a high priest. We're not sure why he didn't know it was a high priest. Maybe, it was a, maybe they had just come together and Paul couldn't see who had said it. Or some feel that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. That he had a difficult time seeing, which is very possible. What happens next is very interesting and also kind of humorous because Paul pushes one of their buttons. And uh, he brings up this issue of, as we, as we see here, this issue in, in verse 6. He responds to them and he said, My brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. He knew that was a loaded topic. He brings it up and so the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection get into an argument with the Sanhedrin who really were like, they were like deists. Deists are people who believe there's a God out there, but he never intervenes in the affairs of men. And so the Sanhedrin were on that you know, level, and the Pharisees, they believed more in spirits and, and more of the miraculous and the reality of the resurrection. So they get into this huge argument. And it really takes all of the focus off of Paul. Again, the guards have to come in and rescue Paul. They take him back, put him in the barracks, and then that night in verse 11, we see these words. Verse 11, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And they were the words of a visitation of Christ to Paul during the night. This is a very, this is a very uh, special little verse. Because here Paul is, and I'm sure he's wondering if this is it. 
I mean, everything, it hasn't taken long, and everything is unraveling in Jerusalem. I'm sure he's laying there wondering, will I be alive tomorrow? And, you know, often God calls us to walk by faith, and, and he doesn't show us what's ahead, and we don't know what's ahead. We're just called to trust him. But also, every once in a while, God does something miraculous just to tell us, you know what? I'm here. And this was that event for Paul. And evidently, the Lord was looking down and watching this whole drama, and he said, you know what? This is a time and place when I'm going to intervene. I'm going to interrupt in history, and I'm going to just show myself to Paul. And I'm sure after that day, Paul said, okay, I'm going to get through this, because the Lord himself told me that I'm going to testify also in Rome. Well, the Jewish leaders are so mad at Paul that 40 of them make an oath. And their oath is, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul's dead. We're not going to eat or drink anything until Paul is dead. Um, I mean, they were serious. If you have a committee or something and, and you want to get something done, just make an oath like that. We are not going to eat or drink until we get this accomplished. That'll get you moving. These guys were dead serious about seeing that Paul's life was ended very quickly. I'm not sure what ever happened because, you know, the problem was God had different plans. And his plans always prevail. And so we see the story here that, that Paul's sister's son. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I read this, it just kind of strikes you like, oh, Paul had a sister. Yeah, you know, he's a real guy. He may have had a couple brothers, too, and he had parents, and, and he probably had a favorite food, and he maybe loved to sail. This is a real guy. He had a life. He had family. And here we just get one of those little, you know, there's a lot the Bible doesn't tell us about Paul. But here's a nephew of his in Jerusalem. And this nephew, somehow, God ordained it that he heard about this plot. They were going to asked for Paul to come back to Sanhedrin and on the way they were going to ambush him and kill him. And so the nephew tells the story and we see the Roman officials here hear it ahead of time and I, I just find this amazing. It's during the night they escort Paul about two days journey up to Caesarea northwest of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a town of about 20 to 30,000. A very important city. A lot of Roman officials there. And they escort him with 470 men. What does that tell you? You know, the Romans, the Romans there was a lot of Jewish uh, energy here behind this incident, behind what was going on. And so they have this, almost a small army of men escorting Paul. You can just envision this, 470 men escorting one man up to Caesarea. This is a very loaded situation. And so Paul is, is safely brought there. I want us to see here that chapter 23 begins a, a new life in the ministry of Paul. And you may not notice this because Paul never complains about it. It's like this is just what God has in store for him. But what you need to understand is that for the next two years, Paul would be under arrest. Then he would be brought to Rome for another at least two years or more. So probably the next five years of Paul's life, he will be under arrest. It's called the land between. 
It's called that place where the boundaries are moved in and all of a sudden your life is confined because of circumstances you didn't expect were coming. Let me tell you about a man. He was a very successful man. In fact, he moved to the top of his profession. Top of his organization. He was on one level a very moral man, but this guy could not stand Christians and he did everything he could to oppose them. He did everything within his power to give them a hard time. One day he had an experience that would just absolutely change his life. He was on his way home from work. No, he was on, actually he was on a business trip uh, out of town. And God spoke to him in an incredibly powerful way, in such a way that his whole life was transformed. He changed his lifestyle, he changed his attitudes, he quit his job. And he began to to reach out and to, you know, on, on the one hand he was opposing <coughs> all of these Christians and now he began to lift up and to support and to encourage the very thing that he had opposed. One day a very tragic thing, at least seemingly tragic, took place. <coughs> Some of his co-workers, people that he had worked with before, uh, <coughs> got him into a setup. And they brought in some, some false testimony, and they set him up, and they accomplished their goal of, he ended up five years in prison. Five years in prison serving time. You know, I would call that a land in between. And of course, the man I just described to you is the Apostle Paul. And so here is Paul. He had been falsely accused. As a result of it, he ends up in prison. There's no traveling in Asia. There's no planting churches. There's no visiting you know, these converts. His life is extremely, extremely confined. He has a guard with him at all times. The land between. You know, for Paul, we talk about detours in life. For Paul, there were no detours. If he was on a detour, that was God's main road for his life. And so, again, we don't hear about this from the lips of the Apostle Paul because this was just where, evidently, where God wanted him. But trust me, this had to be a little hard for a guy that liked to be on the go, for a, like, a guy that had spent, spent, uh, spent his years expanding the gospel throughout Asia and Europe. Paul says in Philippians, and it was during these years, during these five years, I have learned the secret of being content in whatever situation I am in. I've learned the secret of being content. We all know about that land. You've been there at some place or another. This land between. You know, Abraham visited that land. God promised him a son. He's going, Lord... You know, you promised me a son. It's been 25 years. I'm almost 100 years old. Moses visited that land. God told Moses he's going to take his people to the promised land. And now it's, you know, it's the months have turned into years. And Moses is going, how long is this going to take? 
Joshua visited this land. Remember he and Caleb? They're the ones that wanted to go into the promised land. But the other ten guys said, no, we think it's too hard. And so Caleb, what happens to his life? He ends up circling the desert for 40 years with those that were disobedient. The land between is often confusing. It sometimes is seemingly unfair. And yet here's the truth. Some of God's most important lessons are learned there. When we get there, our only goal is to get out. Our only request is that God would remove us. But there is often a reason why we are there. I listened to a talk this week by Todd Phillips, and as I was listening to it, it, it just so uh, fit into what I was thinking about in this text this morning. And he asked this question. And I'd like to throw it out in, in just these last few minutes, answer it this morning. How do we excel in our lives with the boundaries that God places on us? How do we excel in our lives when God puts boundaries, often created by circumstances, in our lives? What do I mean by that? Well, you're a mom with preschool children. It seems like every ounce of energy in your day is just trying to keep track of these children. And you're saying, you know, I could do so much more if I, if I didn't have to do all these little things that take up so much time and energy. Or you're an older adult. You're saying they're going, you know, I remember the day when I had so much energy and now it seems like it takes all my energy just to survive. Just to get up and do the normal things Or maybe it's a family and, and with a mortgage and they're cutting back at work and potentially losing the job and things are starting to press in. Or maybe you're suffering circumstances from somebody else's choices. They weren't your choices, but now you have to live with them because you're related to them. Or they're part of your family or you know what I'm talking about. Three points to remember when those boundaries press in. And this is what they are. Number one, excel where God places you. Excel where God places you. It's another way, you know, you've heard the phrase, bloom where you're planted. Sometimes you'll never know what's being accomplished in that restricted, seemingly restricted place. I've often thought about this, but you know, you could be here on earth your whole lifetime could be about one sentence that you speak. God could take one sentence that you speak to one person at one place in time and it could radically down the road change the whole course of history. We never know. We never know what God is doing and what God is using in some of those situations that we don't understand. I mean, look at Paul. Here's Paul. He can't travel anymore. He can't plant any more churches. It's pretty tough to plant churches when you're sitting under guard in a house under arrest. And so here's Paul. And, and I'm not saying it happened like this, but maybe he's going, well, you know what? I guess the only thing I can do is write. So maybe I'll write a letter to the Ephesians, which he did. And I'll write a le letter to the Philippians, which he did. And I'll write a letter to the Colossians, 
which he did in Philemon and, and probably 2 Timothy. Do you think Paul was saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to write these letters and millions, in fact, billions of Christians will read these and study these and use these to learn from these and be admonished and encouraged on a daily basis. Do you think Paul was thinking that? I don't think Paul had any idea of during those five years in imprisonment when he was writing those letters of how God would one day use those letters way beyond whatever he imagined. You have no idea. Sometimes in those confining places how God may be using the opportunities that he gives. This is the first thing to remember. Excel. What, what, what are the opportunities within this place God has given you? And excel where you are. Excel where you are. You never know what God is doing in this land between. Here's a second one. Don't let bitterness take root. Don't let bitterness take root. This is always a, a temptation in the land between. Because the land between is always characterized by, you know, it's always out of our script. It was always out of our agenda. There's always disappointment. There's often doubts and, and misunderstanding. It often doesn't make sense. And that's always the climate, the soil for bitterness. We begin to blame God and we begin to blame others for the place that we are in. When you're here, there is always a crossroads. There's always a crossroads. And one leads to anger and bitterness and fruitlessness, and the other leads to acceptance and, and peace and fruitfulness. I mean, imagine, I, I often think of Joshua. Here's this young man. He, he had to have been energetic. He obviously was very faith-oriented. And, you know, they come back from going to the promised land, and there's some marvelous things in this promised land and yet there's some, there's some big barriers and Joshua comes back along with Caleb and he's one of the guys that's going, you know what, we can do it I know we can do it and they were charged up about doing it and, and the other ten are saying, no, it's too big for us and what happens God says, okay Joshua, the other guys have chosen not to follow me in faith you know, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go back with them. And it's going to be 40 years. 40 years of circling the desert. I'd call that a land between. That had to be awfully disappointing. And, and a temptation to become bitter. This is always an issue in the land between. And you've heard this phrase before. This is a land that will make you bitter or better. It'll make you bitter or better, depending upon the choices that you make in this land. Here's the final thing, and that is stay a little longer. When you're in the land in between and you feel like bailing, you feel like leaving, you feel like getting out, stay a little longer. What happens is we bolt from the situation. We try and get out of this land. Maybe it's to get out of the relationship, to get out of the church, to get out of the job. Are we abandon our belief? We abandon our belief that God is really with us. 
You know, the New Testament refers to the sin of Israel at Meribah. And when you read about that situation, that's where they were really thirsty and, and, and eventually the water came out of the rock. rock. But here is the sin. It says, at Meribah, where my people sat, is God really with us? Is God really with us? And that's the temptation in the land between, is that we wonder if God is really with us. And so we think of how we can get out of this land. So we run away from that land, and we run to another land, and guess what happens? God brings us the same situation in that land. Because God is trying to teach us something. And if we run from it in this one, He will just give it to us in the next one. You know, Israel comes to God in, a couple of times in the Old Testament. And they say, God, you know, the situation's in our life. You know, please, we're, we're asking you to take it away. And God says, take it away. I put it there. I'm the one that put it there. I, I'm teaching you something. This isn't about some enemy. This is about me wanting to do a work, wanting to do a heart work in your life. If we run from one country in which God is trying to do something, he will just simply bring it up in the next. When you feel like running, stay a little longer. Stay a little longer. Paul had little choice in this imprisonment, but he did have a choice as to what he would believe about this land that he was in and how he would respond to that situation. For Paul, it was to know that if the next five years of his life would be, were to be spent under house arrest, that that was okay. That somehow God would do a work even in that place in his life, even if he didn't understand the work that God was doing. This morning, I, <clears throat> I want to conclude with this little DVD clip. And uh, there's a young girl, I think she's 15. You have to listen, she has an accent. But her life is very confined. She's young, she can't drive, she doesn't have any money. She has limitations. Her father is a Buddhist elder. <coughs> but we can all relate to this girl. And uh, it just challenged me. I hope it challenges you. And uh, her name is Poor. And listen to her testimony this morning.
pray together. Father, we thank you for this young girl in a country a long ways away. And we think about the fruit 
of her ministry. Father, we think about this simple, simple thing that she is doing and giving to you. Father, what an example for each one of us to use uh, whatever gifts we have, however limited we are, to use our situation, no matter how limited it is, whether we're very old or very young or somewhere in between. Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Lord, how you used even his imprisonment to bless the lives of, perhaps unbeknownst to him, millions and millions of people. And so, Lord, we just commit uh, ourselves to you as we seek as a church to reach this community. We pray that you would teach us again today through this example. And uh, Lord, as we end our service just worshiping you, Father, help us not to forget again uh, the many in our community that know nothing of you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.